So if you have a Bible, please turn to Acts 1-8. Again, if you need one, we have Bibles over here on the table. Um, if you don't have one, you can keep it. Um, we are going to be in Acts 1-8 again for the third week. And I'm going to pray for us and we'll begin. Oh God, I thank you for the way you've gifted people in your church just to God, to share your light and to shine your light because I need that. As we sang this morning the songs of the saints that had come before and they now stand in your presence, I needed that. I need to hear a message and a hope that is outside myself because I get trapped in my own head. I need to hear a testimony like Daryl's, and so I remember that you're active in the world. And so, God, I pray this morning that by your grace and through your Holy Spirit, we can get a word from you that blesses this church and makes us strong so that we can go and be faithful. God, where you're sending us, the place you're telling us to go, the places that we're excited about and the places that we might not be excited about. But God, we ask for you to do that work in our hearts because we need that, God. We need you to speak your words to us of love and words of conviction to remind us what it means to be human and remind us what it means that you are God. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. The last couple weeks, we've been going through the mission God gave to the church in the book of Acts, um, the church right after he, he rose from the dead, and then he gave them final marching orders, and then he went to heaven, and, and this is what he told them right before he left, and I'll read it again. Um, starting in, in verse 7, in Acts chapter 1. He said to them, It is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we've, we've taken this as kind of the marching orders, as the mission of the church, and two weeks ago looked at Jerusalem. Uh, what is our Jerusalem? How is God choosing to establish a church to know what its foundation is, right? And so what we went through there was it's a church that is expectant in prayer and obedient to truth, a one where the people are shaken up Right? They're not, they're not lazy and forgetting who God is, but there are people who are constantly going, God is great, right? And being powerfully moved by the Holy Spirit. They're sharing the gifts God is giving them. Each as individuals, remember all of you, God is made special. And with gifts, not to keep to yourself, but to share with the church. 
a church that is conquering fears and powerlessness and unbelief, a multicultural gathering of people that come together and they might not all look the same or sound the same or have the same histories, but they're coming together because they, they share the same faith in Jesus Christ. A church where the gospel is preached, where people repent and are baptized. They're devoted to fellowship. Fellowship isn't an option. Yeah, I do it every other Sunday or when the Super Bowl is not happening. Or, right? People that are devoted to fellowship because they love one another. And it's a growing church. And then the week after that, we talked about Judea. What is our Judea? Meaning we aren't people who are just meant to go like, this is super cool. We should just expand into our parking lot and just keep getting bigger. But God goes, no, go into your Judeas. Go to Paulsbo. Go to Perorchard. Keep <laughs> Take this message to your Judeas, to your county. And this week, we are going to be going to our Samaria. And basically what that means is that God is calling us to go to the people and the places that you don't like. God is calling us to go to the places and to the people that you do not like. And so before I get into even the history of Samaria and that, I, I want to just, I, even while I was sitting back there, I was kind of wrestling, is this the best way to start? Um, but I want to go here first and just kind of give you a, a general overview of what I'm talking about, and then I'll jump into what Samaria exactly is and then how, how we respond to that. A, a very popular verse, possibly the most popular verse uh, in the Bible is John 3.16. Uh, and there was one time where if you asked anyone, what is John 3.16, they would know John 3.16 and be able to recite it for you. Um, and it simply goes, so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. And I'm just, I just want to hold on to the first part of that. And, and I want you maybe to repeat, you don't have to repeat out loud, this isn't a weird ritual. I just want you to think, for God loved the world. For God loved, the, God loves the world. God loves the whole world. God just doesn't like your world, right? Your little thought of a world. God loves the world. And because he loved the world, because God loved the whole world, all of it, he sent his son to that world, right? Because God loved the whole thing. He didn't love just a part of it. And this is, this is the foundation of it all. This is, and this has to be the foundation of our faith. We, we corrupt this thought so often by, by narrowing it down so much. And, and I hear this all the time. You'll hear people go, if, if you were the only one, God would have come to you. And you aren't the only one. Don't even think that way, right? You aren't the only one. God loved the world. Right? It's weird when we think if you were the only one, God would come to you because you aren't and you never will be. <laughs> And God loved the world, the whole thing, and he sent his only son to it. And, and why? Well, to save it, but then John 3.17 is, is awesome. It just falls right and says, For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so the mission of Jesus was to express the love of God for the whole world, for the whole thing, 
And, and when he came, he came not to condemn the world. Not to condemn the world, but to love it and show him, show the whole world, every single person, that come back to relationship with God. And that is huge. And that is huge because as we move from Jerusalem and we get established in this in Judea and we're slowly pushing the, the borders out, right? And then we go and we're called to the places and to the people that we do not like. And, and all of a sudden we realize that, that God is talking about more than our preferences. Because each one of us so holds on to our own preferences that we inherently think that there are people and places that God hates. And God does not hate those places and those people because God loves the world. Okay? That's huge. That's, that's, just, that's just groundwork, okay? <laughs> there are things... And those things that separate us from God that the, world, that the Lord hates, right? Um, I, looking up, doing a, a really quick word study, the only time it really puts God and hate together is when we're talking about two things. And this is Deuteronomy, and it's erecting sacred stones where, and then it talks about in Deuteronomy, that's in 12, and then 16, where, and it says it in God hates, where children are sacrificed. God hates that. God hates things. This is what God hates. God hates things that separate us from Him. Right? God hates things that separate us from Him. But God loves the world and wants to call the whole world back into relationship with Himself. And so God is not like us in our prejudices. And God is not like us when we separate ourselves. And God is not like us when we divide the world in the places we like and the places we do not like because God does not have those boundaries. Amen? Okay, and so that's, that's this general framework that we have to begin this with as we go into realizing that, um, realizing what it means to, to love the places and the, the people that we usually don't and we don't even want to go to and we don't even want to be a part of or be associated with. So I'm going to quickly give you the history of Samaria and, and let you know why it was so um, it was so disdained, why the people of Israel just hated it so much. And the history is really interesting. All the way back to the beginning of, of the, you know, the, the founding of the thought of Samaria, uh, it was kind of a rejected people. So Samaritans trace the roots all the way back to Joseph. And if you remember the story of Joseph in Genesis, he was the brother that they wanted to kill, right? And so they sold him to slavery in Egypt. God had other plans for him and ended up giving him a double blessing, right? So if you're looking through the tribes of Israel, you never hear the tribe of Joseph, right? Why? Because God gave him a double blessing. So you hear about Ephraim and Manasseh, and those are the two tribes that come from the two sons of Joseph. Okay? And where those tribes settled is somewhere in between what we would think of as being Galilee and Jerusalem. Okay? Galilee is the area where Jesus grew up. Right? And Galilee is where the Sea of Galilee is and all those great stories about Jesus walking on water and, 
And, and the majority of Jesus' ministry happened within Galilee, but to get from Galilee to Jerusalem, you had to go around Samaria. You weren't going to go through Samaria. You had to go around Samaria, right? Because you didn't want to go through Samaria because that was smack dab in the middle of these two. But the reason why is, is because after King David, you have King Solomon, and, and because of the sins of Solomon, the kingdom got divided, and you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. I hope you guys like history. But this is going to be helpful, okay? Northern kingdom, southern kingdom, and, and the northern kingdom became Samaria. And they were embittered because of a lot of things. And one of the reasons why is because Shechem, which is their like capital city, used to be the capital city of all of Israel. But David had changed it to Jerusalem. And that started this kind of rift where they were like, no, Shechem's the best. And they were like, no, Jerusalem's the best. Anyway, so when this separation happened, they sort of created their own religion. Okay, not a good idea. Don't do it. Um, which involved rewriting the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. It involved creating a temple on, um, on their own mountain, right? So they didn't have to go to Jerusalem. And so, so that created this bitterness. And then when the Assyrians came in and took over the whole place, they took out most of the Jews from the southern kingdom, but in, they settled the northern kingdom. And so the Jews in the northern kingdom, in Samaria married the Assyrians, and they became half Jew, basically, right? They became half Samaritan, half Jew, and the Jews hated that. They hated that. Why? Because it, they didn't look like them, right? They weren't, they weren't full-blooded Jewish anymore. And then when the Jews came back to settle in Jerusalem, as you have read in Nehemiah or Ezra, they came down from the north and they said, can we help you rebuild the wall of Jerusalem? And and this depends on which history you read, right? <laughs> Some histories who really favor the northern kingdom will say it was the goodness of their heart that they wanted to help with Jerusalem. If you read the southern kingdom, they were always going, no, they just wanted to, to attack us on the sly. Anyway, so the Jews that came in said, you have no part in us because you have, you know, you're not even full Jew anymore, so you, you don't have any part in us. And so the Samaritans waged war on the Jews that came back. And so from that day on, there was just this bitter rivalry, right? This bitter rivalry between Samaritans and the Jews, and they wanted nothing to do with each other. And so when we come to Jesus' day, this is really what we have. We have this extremely bitter relationship where they just don't associate with us anymore. And so to quickly summarize, it's a, what they would consider a bad history and, and I want to summarize it in just a way that you can go, okay, maybe I see some of that even in our day and age, right? They have a bad history. Maybe some people you know just have a history that, that you don't want to relate with. It's a place to be avoided, right? Maybe there's places that you avoid. They're just a different people, right? They don't look like you or sound like you, right? They're not full English or whatever. Um, they have different beliefs from you. And they're a place that does not like us. And so that was Samaria. And this was a lot for the Jews in Jesus' time to swallow, right? That maybe God could be the God of the Samaritans too. And so I think it was with a lot of excitement when 
Jesus first sent out his disciples. He sent them out into the, the areas and he said, he said go and, and, and he, he encouraged them to bless the town and proclaim repentance. But this is what, he, in Matthew 10, he says something re, in, really interesting. He says, don't go to the towns of the Gentiles or the towns of the Samaritans. Right? And they were like, thank you. I didn't want to go there anyway. Right? It's not like they would have gone there the Gentile towns or the Samaritan towns, but he says, don't go to these towns when you go out and preach the good news. And I think, I think the only reason for that was because they would have done a lousy job. Right? It's not like they were going to go there anyway, but they would have done a lousy job. Because if you ever talk to someone you despise in your heart, right? they know. Because you're talking to them the whole time. You're like, right? It's just... It's uncomfortable for both people, right? So he's like, I'm not going to go have you go screw this up for me, right? So, so he says, don't go to the Gentile towns or don't go to the Samaritan towns because God was plotting something far greater than them going and blundering along trying to do it themselves. And this is what he was plotting. And, and I want to follow this through in, in three points. And the first is that he wanted them first to sit at the feet of Jesus. That his disciples to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn his heart. Learn his heart. So to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn his heart. And I'm going to take us to a couple different passages here that will hopefully help you see how much Jesus loves Samaritans and how he's calling us to love Samaritans when he says, go from Jerusalem this place that you like and you love one another to Judea, which is kind of nice. I like Paul's bow, right? They have good bakeries. And, but go then to Samaria, the place you don't like. So, John 4. Starting in verse 4. And this is going to be some reading. So if you, I encourage you to turn there so you can follow along. John 4, verse 4, says, Now he had to go through Samaria. Talking about Jesus. So he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews don't associate with Samaritans. So this is kind of a scandalous setting here, right? (laughs) Jesus is not only talking to a Samaritan woman, he's by himself talking to a woman, right? Crazy. And she knows that this is kind of risky, And she goes, hey, we're not supposed to be communicating with one another, remember? And Jesus responds in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you a living. I love this. Why? Because that's crazy. Imagine that. Imagine you're, okay, imagine women, you go out to get water. Uh, whatever you do, I don't know. What do you guys do these days? You know, like, co- what's comparable? Yeah, you go out to get coffee. Okay, you go out to get coffee. And you sit down in a coffee shop. And all there's, I don't even know how to, what really to compare this to, but, 
But she's not supposed to be talking to this guy, and he sits down, he's like, hey, give me a latte, right? And she, and, and she goes, we're not supposed to be talking, remember? And this is what he says, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, a latte, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. <laughs> what is he talking about? Right? This is crazy. And then it goes on. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw from the well. Uh, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from himself? As did, and she's just like, She's like, you probably, you're not from these parts, are you? And he goes on, he says, everyone who, and he's just, la- he's just in it, right? He's laser point on where he's going, and he's just taking her with him, right? And he goes, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so she starts realizing he's talking about something other than the well. And she says, sir, give me this water so I, I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to the water to, to draw water. And, and then he goes, and then he's just random, right? Go get your husband. I have no husband, she replies. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands, the man you're with right now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Blows her out of the water. Right? She's in the conversation now. Why? Because he knows something that she does not know. She was maybe joking around with him about water, but this is no joke. He has seen her very heart. He has seen her life, and he is speaking into it, right? He's not just seen her life and like these outside things, but he's seen her deepest pain and so she tries to change the subject, and, and we've preached on this before, and I just want to carry you guys through this, though. She says, I can see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place we must worship is Jerusalem. And so she just kind of changes the subject, and then he goes right into it. Believe me, woman, the time is coming when the worship uh, will neither be on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you know. We what you don't know, we worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, it has now come, where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And, and this is the amazing thing, is Jesus is just breaking the mold. Where she, and, and remember, what, when she realizes he is serious about what he's talking about, and that he has seen her, what she tries to do is this. She tries to reestablish the point of separation. Do you guys get this? She's trying to reestablish the point of separation and go, okay, remember, you worship in Jerusalem, I worship on this mountain. And Jesus is going, that time has passed. And all those who worship will worship. What he is offering her is a, is a relationship with God, a God who what? We, this is in the chapter right before it, a God who loved the world and gave himself for the world and didn't come to condemn the world, but that through him it might be saved. And so she is reasserting separation, but he is saying there's no more separation. Don't think in terms of separation anymore. Okay, turn really quick to Luke 10. 
Luke 10 is another well-known story. It is the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the parable of the Good Samaritan is not a story where... It's okay. It's okay, Jacob. Jesus loves Samaritans. <laughs> um, so, Jesus is talking to the teachers of the law, and they're trying to figure out who their neighbor is. And Jesus tells a simple story, and I won't... I won't oh, I thought that was Jacob. Sorry, I just saw Jason look at me all guilty-like. Um... So, the Good Samaritan story, I won't read through. It's a parable about a man who was trying to take this route, this dangerous route, around Samaria from Galilee to Jerusalem and fell into the hands of robbers. Okay? He fell in the hands of robbers and was beaten to a bloody pulp and almost died. And then who comes to rescue him? It's a Samaritan who comes to rescue this man. And I could, I could read the whole thing, but, but there's a lot here. So I just want to kind of cover this really quickly. Is As you read the story, the man says, who is my neighbor? This is what Jesus says to him. He says, imagine that you are on a journey. And that on that journey, you fall victim to robbers. And after you fall victim to robbers, someone comes to help you. And imagine that that person who comes to help you is the person you hate. That's the point of the story. Right? Okay, so how we usually hear this story, the Good Samaritan story is, okay, be nice to people who get beat up. That's not the point of the story. (laughs) The point of the story is, imagine that you got beat up. You're the one on the ground. You're not the Good Samaritan. Right? Because this man would never assume he was a Samaritan. It's a lot easier to imagine that he's on the ground dying than that he is a Samaritan. But this is the amazing thing about this story, is God is saying, imagine that you're the broken one, and you're the beat up one, and you're the one that needs help, and the one who's helping you is the one that you despise. Imagine that. And that is amazing. Right? So as we come from the story of the woman at the well where Jesus is showing her, yeah, she's broken. We know that. But he says, imagine that that separation is gone and, and, and the kingdom is accessible to you. And then he goes, to, he goes back to the Jews who hate the Samaritans and he goes, imagine that you share in that brokenness, that you are the broken one. Imagine that they have compassion. They have compassion where you don't show compassion. And that is amazing. Okay, Luke 17. Turn there really quick. In Luke 17, verse 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And he was going into a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance. And they called out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when they saw him, when he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, We're not all ten cleansed. Where, where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give 
uh, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And this is, this is the beautiful thing that Jesus is going. He, he goes, imagine when the kingdom is presented to these people, and this is really going on. He goes, and then they get it a lot faster than you do. Right? And the reason why is because maybe their brokenness is a lot more visible than your brokenness. Maybe the way they hurt is a lot more visible than the way you hurt. And you can hold it inside and you can pretend like you're okay. But he goes, imagine then when salvation comes and they get it a lot quicker because they've been rejected for a whole lot longer. The Samaritan, the one that we separate and the one that we don't like. Jesus is absolutely asking us to, to break out of our ideas and our separations. And he's not saying, he's not going, okay, everyone's okay, you're okay, we're okay, we're good. But he's, he's saying is he goes, he goes, I love the world. And I didn't come to just condemn it. I came to draw it to myself. And right in, in verse 18 after 317, he goes, he goes, if you don't believe, you're already condemned. We know that. But if you believe, you are saved. Right? Because the condemnation is for us all, for the whole world. So he's not coming in to go, yeah, you're condemned. He's coming in to save it and rescue it. And that rescue mission he is on is for all people. And, and those who, and, and according to this, those who get it quicker are probably those who have been on the outskirts and rejected longer. That's amazing. Jesus is a friend of sinners and he's calling us to be a part of that. What they needed, this is point two, the first was they needed to sit at the feet of Jesus and realize that Jesus just loved these people. And the second thing they needed was to be spiritually transformed because they just, they didn't get it <laughs> until they were. And, and I, I, I realize this, you know, you, sometimes you, and it's good, you preach with a certain helplessness because you go, God, I realize we're not going to get this we're not going to get this unless, unless you break this hardened heart. And that's what they needed. If you, we don't have to turn there, but, but the, I want you guys to see that the pre-resurrection disciples are really easy to relate with, right? Or I would say pre-Pentecost disciples. Because even after the resurrection, I was reading in Mark 16 this week, and in this interim between the time that Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended, it says four times they just refused to believe. That's crazy. And that's, that's what's awesome about the Bible is it's acknowledging the reality of our wrestling and our struggling, right? Mark 16, it just kept saying... <laughs> The woman saw him at the tomb, and then they went back and told the disciples, and the disciples refused to believe. Someone else saw him, they came and told the disciples, and the disciples refused to believe. Right? And then they, it just keeps happening, right? And then even in Matthew 28, it says, even as Jesus is there with them, and he's giving them these last, this last commission, it says some worshipped and some didn't believe. And this is a wrestling that we have. So when we, when we see these disciples, and we see how hard it is for them to love anyone other than who they love naturally, we say easily, that's me, okay? But then what we see when they're empowered by the Holy Spirit, what we see in Acts 1.8, it 
is that they are crazy, right? First, they're, they're crazy in Jerusalem, and, and God's like, God's letting them just love the city, and, and he's adding to their church. But then he sends them out from that and helps them overcome their barriers, bringing them the conviction that God is for all people. And, and we're going to talk more about this later, how it applies to us, but... Um, but as we sit at the feet of Jesus, what he's asking us to do is not just preach convicting sermons about how you just need to go love everybody. Because that is a barrier in some of your hearts that you're not able to overcome. And so we need to seek his face like the disciples in Acts 1 who went, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Help us have a love for those who we don't love. Because I don't, I don't want to, I, I could so easily like give statistics about people who are hurting in our community or around the world and just go, you should feel bad about yourself. Um, right? And, and we could go, yeah, we should feel bad about ourselves, but I don't love them, right? And God's going, how do we, how do we change, right, from being people that aren't just, like, feeling bad about ourselves because we should love them? And how do people that, that finally get on our knees and go, God, I don't. Help me. Because I see, I, I still just don't want to cross the tracks. I still don't want to do these things. And what will change our church into a church that does love all people, right? And does have a heart that we're not just going, missions, 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 but we're going, Lord, send me, right? Send me. And, and I, because I see, and I want to share this with you guys, I see in my heart the need to just pray and go, God, give me the passion to go send me because there are people I don't love. And, and I, I really want to. There are so many times I should, I should weep that I do not weep because I, I am comfortable to just love those that I love. And God is wanting to, to overcome, spiritually transform us to overcome those barriers. And then he sends them from the nest. That is the, that is the third point. He sends them from the nest. And this is a short point, and then we'll, we'll swing into application You've seen in Acts 1 how he intends to send them from the nest. He goes, you know, I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit, and then I'm going to send you from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But they really, they, they enjoyed the work that he was doing in them in Jerusalem. Just like we can hear, like, you know, as, we, as people are coming, and you're like, man, I really like these people. And, and ho- I mean, hopefully you are like that. I like you guys. Um, I'll keep you around. You know, uh, you know, we enjoy one another and we're like, this is sweet and we're praying and we're growing. And that's what was happening here. He's, God was really actively moving in their midst and they were learning to overcome their dislike of just one another and enjoy spending time together. And they just enjoyed the favor of the Lord, right? That, uh, that they just got comfortable. And so he had to send them out. And the way he did that in Acts 7 was one of them just got all rowdy preaching at Stephen and he got killed. And, and this persecution broke out within the church. And so in, in, 
in Acts 8, in verse 1, it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then if you jump down to verse 4, it says, Those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. And so, so finally, chapter 8, you got this church that's growing, and, and, all, and they're just like, this is fun. And then, and then God goes, no, I'm going to kind of kick you out of the nest, right? And, and parents, that's what you're thinking, you know, when your, your kids get like 25 and they're not out yet, right? Same sentiment, right? And Jesus is like, too long, <laughs> right? He goes, he goes, the plan isn't just Jerusalem. The plan is, is the county, but don't forget the people you do not like. I'm going to send you to Samaria. There is a song that, that I just want to read some of, and it's by a guy named Keith Green. And, and this was one of those things I, I wrestled with putting in because I, I don't, like, I hope you guys know this, I don't preach convicting things for conviction's sake. I'm not trying to make you guys feel bad, but I read things like this, and I relate with it so well that I go, God, bring us this conviction by your grace and in your name. And, and so this is what he writes in the song. It's called The Sleep in the Light. He says, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come, but you close your eyes and pretend the job's done? He says, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know it's all I ever hear. No one aches, no one hurts, no one even sheds one tear. But he cries, he weeps, he bleeds, and he cares for your needs. But you just keep, he says, you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Because Jesus brings people to your door and you turn them away and you smile and say, God bless you, be at peace, and all heaven just weeps. Because Jesus came to your door, but you left him out on the street. And, and that, is, that is our Samaria. And, and I want to ask us as a church to not be numb and to pray, God, give us hearts. The mission statement of the Refuge Church and the Coffee Oasis that we've had for a long time is simply bringing the hope of Christ to the pain on the streets. And that's what we want to do, and that's what I pray that we do effectively. But we have to constantly ask ourselves, are we doing that? Are we really bringing the hope of Christ to the pain on the streets? Or as we gather here, and we have more people that we like and enjoy naturally. Some of you guys, you just, you know, I meet you and it's just fun, right? And other people, maybe we don't have a long history together. Or, or maybe <laughs> you don't like my history. I don't like your history. Or, or you're just different than me. And all those things can keep us... Are we going to be a church that just looks like each other? Or are we going to be a church that looks like Jesus? Right? And, and if we look back to what Jesus looked like from sitting at his feet, he would spend time with that Samaritan woman and say, I'm not going to hold those lines of separation. I'm going to say the day is coming where people, everyone, can come and just worship in spirit and in truth without any separation, without any hate in our hearts. 
And I challenge us as a church, what does that look like? That means that God loves the world and didn't come to condemn them. That means the people that, that we don't think we should spend time with, maybe we need to spend time with. That means if you go out and you meet someone who you find is uncomfortable, and, and it could be someone who doesn't believe the same thing you do, we do. It could be someone who is a homosexual, and their whole life they have experienced a lot of rejection. And are you going to treat them different, or are you going to sit down with them like Jesus in the coffee shop and say, hey, I know of living water. Or are you going to reject that person and say, the water's not for you. And that's what we do over and over again. Because Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And it is not your job to condemn people. It is your job to love people. And this is huge. We think when we sit down with that person who's already hurting and already knows they're condemned, Right? You cannot be in a relationship with God without coming to terms with his holiness, okay? We know that. It's not like you come into a relationship with God and you're like, I can still be myself and be in a relationship. No. You come to God and you are transformed, right? You cannot be the same when you come to know Jesus, but it's not your job to change him, right? It's not my job to change him. It's his job, Right? And what we need to know is that he's calling all people because he loves the world, not to condemn them, but to draw them into a relationship with himself. Condemnation already rests on us if we're apart from Jesus. But it's our job to go, he is extending the kingdom to all people. All people. And that's huge. So you can sit down with anyone and let them know that God loves them and wants to draw them into a relationship with himself. All people, without exception. And that is, that is huge. And so what does that look like? How do we do that as a church? One of the ways we do that is simply by being a place where all people are welcome. Right? And that can make some of us uncomfortable. That doesn't mean we, we're not going to change preaching the scripture. Right? And the scripture says these things are wrong and these things are right. And when we come to a holy God, we have to come and confess who we are. Right? But that's saying anyone can come and hear that. Come and hear that and be loved. So are we a place where everyone is welcome? And we hope, there's a couple things we really hope to do this year that will help in that. We hope to, to really uh, run in the way of freedom ministries, right? That, that this year, we, we've offered a class in the past, and we're going to do it this year, that just is, what does that look like? It looks like all of us coming and just letting God see us and knowing that he loves us and wants to forgive us and that we can just walk in freedom, and we want to do that as a church. Just be able to, be able to get in groups where we, we can be honest with one another. right? Because I know you guys aren't perfect. And you guys need to know I'm not perfect. Right? I know that people in here are struggling with even sins right now. They feel like they, they can't overcome. right? It's not like we all come and we're all like, we're great. We need to invite people that aren't great. No, <laughs> no like we aren't great. Right? And, and some of us are, have been struggling with things for a long time. And what does that look like to, to go, <laughs> I, I can be honest. You can be honest with your pastors here because your pastors aren't perfect. <laughs> right? And we're going to pray with you and go, man, how do, we, how do we seek freedom and restoration in that? Right? And we encourage you guys to be involved in, man, the things we already got going on. Like, We've got uh, 
every afternoon here, a, a time kids can come. All kids can come and just spend time, be loved, right? Here, Port Orchard, Paulsbo, right? Get on board, right? If you want to get out of your comfort zone, come to one of those times, right? If you're like, where's my Samaritan? Come to one of those times, right? <laughs> You'll quickly find kids that you just don't relate with, right? But God loves those children. We're going to start something this year called Urban Initiative, and we've been talking a lot about that. And what that looks like is us um, partnering with some other guys to, the way it's just going to start is, is open up Sheridan Community Gym once a month at least and bring in some Christian hip-hop artists, and you know, Daryl can share his testimony with them again. And, and we're, going to, we're just going to once a month just bring in these guys that, you know, we don't, them and I don't share a history but Jesus loves them, and we're going we're gonna to come, and we're just going to go, how, what does it look like that, for us just to reach out to these people that we might be, not be reaching out to effectively? <laughs> right? And we want to we do that by the grace of God. Um, jumping on board with something like that. Um, so let's pray as a church that we will share the heart of Jesus, sit at his feet, be spiritually transformed, and be sent by him. Because we need to be sent. We need to be kicked out of the nest, I think. And, uh, and I want to leave you with this. Uh, it's probably an interesting thing to leave you with. But uh, on the Statue of Liberty, there's a plaque. And I think of this often. Um, and on that plaque is a poem by Emma Lazarus. And, and the poem, I'm just going to read you the last half of it, but, but they call the Statue of Liberty the Mother of Exiles. That's in the poem. And it says, this is what the poem reads. It says, keep ancient lands your storied pomp, she cries with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shores, send these, the homeless, Tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And are, are we going to be a, a church? That's our cry. Are we going to be a church that builds fences? Are we going to be a church that says, send those to me. You're tired, you're poor. The huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched, wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Send these to me, your homeless and tempest-tossed, right? And I, and I pray, I pray so much for our church and for myself because I need this transformation to be people that are going, Jesus, I see your love for all people. Expand my heart and break my heart to love the least of these. And guys, that will be super exciting because Jesus loves all people. Pray with me and then we will worship. Oh God, too often we have, we have tried to make you in our own image. And your call is something far more wild, far better than that. You're calling us to to see you, 
be transformed by you. God, I pray you'll break the heart of this church for those who feel like they could never be part of a church. And you'll, you'll put in the lips of this church that cry, come all. God, but this will only happen if we remember how greatly we have been loved even though we didn't deserve it. And by your grace, do this in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as we begin to worship, we're going to take communion together. And, um, and just a reminder, as we take communion, what that is and why we do it. In 1 Corinthians 11, it reads... Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, for all of you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he come. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and the cup. Um, so I encourage you guys, as you, as you come take, evaluate your heart and just see, am, am I taking this as an act of worship, remembering that Jesus who loved the world and gave himself for it? And if you don't agree with that, I encourage you not to take it. Um, the way, I'm just going to explain this again. The way we, we do it is um, there's nothing super special about it. We just found this was the best way to do it. You can come up and at any point and just take the bread and, and dip it in the juice. And um, I just want to clarify that this is, this is no like super crazy act we're doing. It's just the best way that we've found to celebrate together by you guys lining up and dipping it in that, that we are, as, as a body together, going, this is what we gather around. Um, so I encourage you guys to take communion that way. I love you guys. Thanks.